0: Nothing pictures God's relationship with His people better than a shepherd and His sheep. The shepherd's staff could have been Israel's national symbol, because the most familiar scene in Judea was a shepherd standing on a hillside, tending his flock. God borrows this picture and applies it to Himself. For example, the prophet Isaiah says of Messiah, He tends His flock like a shepherd he gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. Jesus declared, I am the good shepherd, not the good teacher or the good psychologist or the good moral leader or even the good CEO. A shepherd is what we need most. I'm Ron Jones and this is something good.
1: Shepherds will often anoint a sheep's head with oil to fend off disease. God does the same thing when he anoints your head with oil. Hello, I'm Brian Davis, and this is Something Good with Dr. Ron Jones. If the rod and staff are part of God's toolbox, anointing oil is part of God's first aid kit. What does that mean for us in our relationship with God? Find out next as Ron continues his teaching series, Psalm 23 and Me, Living the Good Life with the Good Shepherd. By the way, you'll find us online at somethinggoodradio.org where you can listen to any of Ron's messages on demand on your schedule. That's somethinggoodradio.org. Subscribe to the podcast at Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Now with today's message, The Anointing, here's Dr. Ron Jones.
0: First Samuel chapter 16 tells us that the prophet Samuel was traveling to Bethlehem with a horn full of sacred oil, making sure, no doubt, not a single drop of it spilled. Uh, You see, the Lord had rejected Saul. Uh, You remember King Saul, don't you? He was the people's choice for a king over Israel. The Lord rejected Saul and it was now time to anoint the Lord's chosen one. But who could fill those sandals? Saul's failure highlighted the foolhardiness of Israel's desire to have a king like all the other nations. He was a colossal failure. But the Lord said to Samuel, I will send you to Jesse in Bethlehem, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. There was only one problem for Samuel. (laughs) Jesse had eight sons, including Eliab. Eliab was the eldest, he was the tallest, he was the obvious choice, among uh, Jesse's uh, sons and the brothers there. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Uh, Samuel went on to examine six more of Jesse's sons. And then he turned to their proud papa and said, the Lord has not chosen these. Are all your sons here? And that's when Jesse sent for David, his youngest son, who was keeping his father's sheep nearby. And David showed up, the Bible says, with his blue eyes and his handsome appearance. I'll even add his wind-swept hair and smelling like a flock of sheep. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. I mean, to everybody's surprise, it was David, not Eliab, the oldest, the tallest, uh, the obvious choice. But David, who was nobody's choice, even his father's choice. The Bible says then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers and the spirit of the Lord, listen to this, the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. I wonder when David was uh, writing Psalm 23, this beloved Psalm, This worldwide known psalm. I I wonder if he was reminiscing about the day when he was anointed king when he wrote the words, You anoint my head with oil. Was the former shepherd boy thinking about the time the prophetic oil flowed through his red locks, running down on the collar of his shepherd's robe. We can only assume David's thoughts at that moment. Uh, we don't know for sure, but the connection between that event in 1 Samuel chapter 16 and when David wrote Psalm 23 is certainly uh, worth considering. Now, as I mentioned last week, uh, some Bible teachers see the rhetorical images in Psalm 23 shifting in verse five, away from the shepherd and sheep imagery to a banquet prepared by a host for a friend. I'm not going to say they're wrong, uh, but I think that imagery is secondary. I believe the picture of a shepherd with his sheep is still primary, even in verse 5 all the way through verse 6. I'll say it this way, if the rod and staff were part of the shepherd's toolbox, the oil, this anointing oil, was part of the shepherd's first aid kit. And let me explain what I mean. Uh, Haddon Robinson has written a wonderful book titled, uh, Trusting the Shepherd, Insights from Psalm 23. And in there, he says, when a shepherd enters a new field where he can feed his flock, he walks up and down, inspecting the, the ground closely, looking for grass that might poison the sheep. He also searches the field for vipers. These tiny brown adders live under the ground and they pop out of their small holes and nip the noses of the sheep. Their bit is poisonous and the inflammation can actually kill the animal. Now Robinson goes on to explain how the shepherd takes a flask of thick oil and pours it a, a bit of it down every hole he finds. And when the adders try to climb out of their hole, well, what they discover is they, there's kind of a slip and slide now in the hole and they can't get out of the hole. But just in case the adders do make it out of the hole, the shepherd also pours some oil on the sheep's head. Interesting, isn't it? Robinson says the oil on the sheep's head acts as a repellent. Now, Philip Keller, um, somebody who was actually a shepherd, sees another way the shepherd administers oil for the benefit of his sheep. Uh, Though the time on the summer range settles the sheep, it's also what uh, Keller calls fly time. That's when all kinds of insects and parasites emerge from the warm weather and they attack the sheep. Keller says their attacks on the animals can readily turn the golden summer months into a time of torture for sheep and drive them almost to distraction. Uh, Fly time kind of makes me think of... uh, Uh, a warm summer night in the Texas hill country where you're sitting out on your back porch and the mosquitoes just swarm you. Uh, But fly time is actually dangerous for sheep. More dangerous than just some pesky mosquito is for people who might live in a sultry climate. That is unless those mosquitoes are carrying a dangerous disease uh, like malaria. Keller writes, only the strictest attention to the behavior of the sheep by the shepherd can forestall the difficulties of fly time. He says at the first sign of flies among the flock, he will apply an antidote to their heads. I always preferred, he writes, to use a homemade remedy composed of linseed oil, sulfur, and tar, which was smeared over the sheep's nose and head as protection against nose flies. And then he goes on to say, what an incredible transformation this would make among the sheep. Once the oil had been applied to the sheep's head, there was an immediate change in behavior. Gone was the aggravation. Mark that down. We're going to come back to that a little bit later. But according to Keller, summertime is not only fly time, but he says it's also scab time. Uh, scab is a highly contagious disease caused by microscopic parasites, and it's common to sheep all around the world. The contamination spreads rapidly as sheep rub up against each other. And one of the most playful things that sheep like to do is kind of rub their, their heads together. Well the, the, the best preventative for scab, as you might guess, is to anoint the sheep's head with oil. And that greasy concoction provides a protective medicinal layer on the sheep's head to fight against these lethal organisms that embed themselves in the animal's wool. Isn't this amazing imagery here that these two uh, experts draw out for us? And are you starting to get the picture here? Are you starting to see what what David is saying when he says, you anoint my head with oil? Psalm 23 is deep, it is powerful, it is personal, it is meaningful. And of course, all of the rhetorical images inside the Psalm portray the believer's relationship with Jesus Christ, who is the good shepherd of our souls. He anoints my head with oil, says much about the Christian life, friends, and how our Good Shepherd applies spiritual first aid to our faith experience. I'll go on to say that as the sheep of God's pasture, we are not only prone to wander, but we are also prone to scab, that spiritual disease that resides in our flesh called sin. And the only antidote, the only antidote to scab is the blood of Jesus Christ, which cleanses us from all sin, plus, the anointing of the Holy Spirit to help us live free from the power of sin. But what exactly is the anointing in the Christian life? You may have come from a uh, church background where you heard a pastor or a church leader talk a lot about the anointing. What is that all about? Where where do they uh, get that idea except from uh, Psalm chapter 23? So let's talk a little bit about Uh, what the Bible means by the anointing. And let's begin in the Old Testament, where anointing oil was used in ceremonial worship. Anointing a person or an object with oil indicated that God had consecrated or set apart that person or maybe that object for a holy purpose, for example, uh, the Bible tells us in the book of Exodus and also Leviticus that Moses anointed Aaron, his brother, to serve as the first high priest. And then when they built the tabernacle, uh, the tabernacle itself and the sacred objects within it were all anointed with oil. The priests, including Aaron's sons who served as priests, as well as prophets and kings, all received the anointing oil in the Old Testament as an outward expression of of God's favor upon them. Uh, The oil symbolized the unity of their profound earthly service and the spiritual reality of God's presence.
1: Don't go away. We're only about halfway through today's message with Dr. Ron Jones, lead pastor at Atlantic Shores Baptist Church in Virginia Beach, Virginia. Today's teaching is part of Ron's series, Psalm 23 and me, living the good life with the Good Shepherd. Look for it online at somethinggoodradio.org. Hello
0: friend, I'm Ron Jones of Something Good Radio. All scripture is profitable for teaching and reproof. But let's face it, God gave us a lot of scripture. 66 books and more than 600,000 words and it can sometimes be a little overwhelming to read. That's why I wrote my new book, The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible, to help you navigate your way through the highways and byways of God's Word and see how it all fits together so brilliantly. How every path, every passage, and every page points to Jesus, who is the Christ. The book comes in two volumes, Volume one covers the 39 books of the Old Testament, while volume two takes you through each of the 27 New Testament books. Both are now available to order, and
1: I'd love to send them to you today. Here's Brian with details. The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible, volume one and two can be yours today by request for your gift of $50 or more to support the ministry of something good. When you order the print versions, you'll also get instant access to the Route 66 Digital Library, a $275 value. The online library includes electronic versions of the book, plus video sermons, audio messages, and downloadable sermon notes on all 66 books of the Bible. Visit somethinggoodradio.org to request the two-volume set and to gain immediate access to the Route 66 Digital Library. That's somethinggoodradio.org. Pastor Ron, there are so many good books published every year. Why should someone buy the ultimate road trip through the Bible? And who did you have in mind when you wrote these literary travel guides through the Old and New Testaments? You know, Brian, your questions make me think of the words of wise
0: Solomon in Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 12. Of the making of many books, he writes, there is no end. And oh, how true that is. For what it's worth, as a Bible teaching pastor for more than 30 years, The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible is my way of helping people understand the overall story of Scripture and how all 66 books of the Bible fit together into a unified work of the Holy Spirit. I wrote with all kinds of people in mind, starting with the serious Bible student, even those who teach the Bible. I'm thinking of pastors, Sunday school teachers, and small group Bible study leaders who might use these two volumes in their preparation. But I also wrote for the person who is just getting acquainted with the Bible, which we all know is the best-selling book of all time. Brian, you can read The Ultimate Road Trip through the Bible from beginning to end like any other book, or place it in your Bible study toolbox. I know that if you're a lifelong learner of God's Word as I am, you will return to The Ultimate Road Trip through the Bible repeatedly. As companions to your personal Bible study, these books will always help you see the big picture before
1: you dive into the details of any book of the Bible. That's why I'll be ordering my own copy, Pastor Ron. We're so glad you decided to share this important book with us. And you can get your copy today by going to somethinggoodradio.org. Both volumes of this great resource are yours as our way of saying thanks when you make a gift of $50 or more to support the ministry of Something Good. Give online at somethinggoodradio.org or over the phone by calling our offices at 757-276-1099. Or mail your gift to P.O. Box 6245, Virginia Beach, Virginia 23456. Well in the Old Testament those who were anointed with oil were set apart from the rest, even from other followers of God, but now all believers in Christ have been anointed with oil once and for all. With the rest of today's Something Good radio message, The Anointing, here's Dr. Ron Jones.
0: Now, the the anointing oil also means something else in the Old Testament, something even more practical, we might say. The Israelites practiced the ancient custom of hospitality by anointing the head of an honored guest in their home, which is uh, something that also appears in in the Gospels. In the Gospel of Luke and uh, Mark and John all record stories of of people who... uh, Uh, honored Jesus by by anointing and pouring anointing oil on his head. And this is why some Bible teachers see the rhetorical image shifting in Psalm 23 and verse 5. And again, I'm not saying that they're wrong. I just think that that imagery is secondary in the psalm. Even Psalm 45 and verse 7 alludes to this uh, uh, hospitality custom by saying, God your God has set you above your companions by anointing you uh, with uh, the oil of joy. By anointing you with the oil of joy, which brings us to uh, another uh, uh, use of anointing oil uh, relating to the gladness of God. Uh, The anointing oil pictures both honoring a guest, a special guest at your table, and the gladness of God, It's uh, involved in ceremonial worship. Uh, Fourthly, the New Testament associates healing and prayer with the uh, anointing of oil. Remember after Jesus sent his disciples out to preach the gospel, they returned and they brought a report to Jesus and they said that they had cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. And then you travel from the Gospels uh, all the way to the end of the New Testament to the book of James. And James, the half-brother of Jesus, teaches the church to gather the elders and pray for the sick, anointing them with oil. Uh, We do that here at uh, Atlantic Shores Baptist Church. But the question always comes up, is there healing power in the oil itself or in who or what the oil represents? Uh, That's a fair question to ask related to James chapter 5. Uh, Another aspect of uh, the anointing in Scripture is related to um, the Messianic prophecies and the sign of the coming of Messiah. At the start of his ministry, Jesus read from the scroll of Isaiah in the synagogue. Luke chapter 4 records this time, and in verse 18, uh, he picks up that scroll and reads these words, "...the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor." Uh, this was a messianic prophecy that Jesus was reading in the presence of the people in the synagogue that day. And in doing so, uh, he was saying, I, I'm, I'm here today to fulfill this ministry. He was saying he is the Messiah. Jesus is the Christ, we say. Uh, Jesus Christ is not his first and last name. Jesus is his name. Christ is his title. And Christ means the anointed one and is sometimes translated simply Messiah. To Cornelius and other Gentiles near Caesarea, Peter noted how how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Uh, That brings me to the uh, last aspect of the anointing oil. And this has to do with the ministry of the Holy Spirit. In both the Old and New Testaments, the anointing is inseparable from the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Don't ever forget that. However, how the Holy Spirit operated in the Old Testament is different than how he operates in New Testament times. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit in the lives of Old Testament saints was selective and temporary. For example, the Spirit of God anointed Saul when he became king. And, uh, but much later, when Saul failed, the spirit departed uh, when God had rejected Saul's leadership. Uh, The third member of the Trinity, the Bible says, rushed upon David. Uh, The spirit of the Lord rushed upon him when Samuel anointed him with oil, there in 1 Samuel chapter 16. But later, uh, David prayed in Psalm 51 and verse 11, take not your Holy Spirit from me. He feared the loss of his anointing because of his uh, sinful liaison with Bathsheba. And that always raises the question, uh, should New Testament believers pray in the same manner? Should we be concerned about the Spirit's departure of losing the anointing? Well, not so fast, because uh, the, the ministry of the Holy Spirit changed on the day of Pentecost. And what was selective and temporary in the Old Testament in terms of his anointing uh, becomes his permanent indwelling of New Testament believers. On the day of Pentecost, uh, much about the ministry of the Holy Spirit changed, advancing God's redemptive story. 40 days after Jesus ascended to the Father, the Spirit arrived in tongues of fire, giving birth to the church that Jesus said he was building. And from that day forward, the Spirit of God, as I said, permanently indwells the church and individual believers within the church. While only selective saints in the Old Testament received the anointing of the Spirit, listen to me here, all New Testament believers, according to 1 John 2 and verse 20, have been anointed by the Holy One. Let that sink in for just a moment. And look yourself in the mirror, child of God, sheep of his pasture. If you're a true believer in Jesus Christ, look yourself in the mirror and said, you have been anointed. You are anointed of God. Every believer in Jesus Christ receives the Holy Spirit, the anointing, in full measure at the moment of salvation. Again, in the Old Testament, it was selective and temporary where the Spirit came and who he fell upon and, uh, for, for this act of service and this aspect of ministry. And in Saul's case, the Spirit departed. And in David's case, he feared that the Spirit would depart. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. But that's not a New Testament prayer uh, for a believer in Jesus Christ.
1: Don't let the enemy deceive you. If you've come to faith in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit power Dr. Ron Jones talked about just now. Anointed is not something you can be, it's what you already are. Thanks so much for being here for today's Something Good radio message, The Anointing. Now here's Ron with a preview of tomorrow's message.
0: You and I will fail every time if we try to live the Christian life in our own flesh, and our own strength, He anoints our head with oil. He, He gives us the power of the Holy Spirit. It is resident in us. Activating that power and living in that power has everything to do with walking in obedience to His divine commands, walking by faith and releasing faith into every situation. Remember, the baptism of the Holy Spirit happens once at the moment of salvation, you're anointed. The filling of the Spirit happens day by day, moment by moment, whereby I say yes to God and no to the world, the flesh and the devil.
1: That's tomorrow when Dr. Ron Jones shares part two of his message, The Anointing. Join us then for Something Good for Ron and the entire team here at Something Good Radio. I'm Brian Davis saying God bless and thanks for listening.